We know Jeremiah as a prophet from the Old Testament, but in at least one crucial way, he was just like us. Fear and inadequacy overtook him as he struggled to accept the prophetic stewardship placed upon him. Throughout his 40 years of prophesying, Jeremiah faced upheaval, persecution, and attack, all the while teaching any who would listen that the convictions within us will always be more powerful than the turmoil surrounding us. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit can teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. I think prophets are rejected or persecuted because the natural man doesn't like to be told that what they're doing is wrong. I think prophets are rejected because they have the truth. They talk to Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father. They know where we're headed. They have that clearer vision than a lot of us. And I think sometimes that scares people, um, but I know it scares Satan. So Satan does everything in his power to stop them. When I feel persecution from those around me or uh, from friends, I just, I remember who I am. I remember that I'm a daughter of God, and I remember that He loves me and I love Him, and that that's what truly matters. For me, it's very much relying on those that, you know, care about me most, and that's family and friends. Um, and um, just being able to rely on those people um, really is a way to, um, come back to you know your morals and feel centered um, and know that what you're doing is right ultimately. Welcome everyone, thank you for being here today. Today's topics that we're going to discuss come from our studies in the book of Jeremiah. And the first topic is, who was Jeremiah? And the second topic is, God knew me before I was born. And to help us with our discussion today, we wanna to welcome back one of our scholars, James Goldberg. Welcome, James. It's good to be back. James is a writer, a poet, and a historian with the History Department of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And our special guests today are Steve and Colleen Lund. Welcome, Lunds. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Steve is the Young Men's General President for The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Colleen is a United Way board member and has served in many leadership positions in the church. Together, they were mission leaders of the Georgia Atlanta Mission. We are very excited to have you here and to get to know you and hear of your insights on the book of Jeremiah. So thank you for being here. Thanks for inviting us. As we get into this first topic of who was Jeremiah, James, do you mind giving us some historical context on, on Jeremiah, the world he's living in and so on? Yeah. Have you ever seen that meme that's a one panel comic with a dog sitting at a table and the whole room's on fire and the dog says, this is fine. <laughs> That's the historical context, okay. right? When Jeremiah is still quite young, Josiah's the king, they're restoring the temple. It's been kind of neglected in the past. And as they're restoring the temple, they find this document uh, that they call the Book of the Law. And it describes in 2 Kings chapter 22, how they find this, and there's all these warnings about mm -hmm. what happens if you do exactly what they've done in going away, and they bring it to this woman, the prophetess Huldah. And Huldah's prophecy is the King Josiah is repentant, he's gonna do his best, and so in his time, the kingdom won't be destroyed. But in the long term, destruction is coming. So Jeremiah, from the time he's young, knows and feels that there's judgment coming to Judah. In Jeremiah chapter one, um, verse six, 
his initial response to the voice of the Lord coming to him is just this. Then said I, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I am a child. Who am I to tell people that they need to see things this way and that there's, there's an important warning they're neglecting? This feeling of inadequacy that exists in Jeremiah. Well, you look at all the prophets who were alive at that time, and there were quite a few. It was a really interesting time. You have uh, Lehi, who goes off, and you have Ezekiel. They all have different missions. They all have different responsibilities, and they're very different. And you look at the youth today, and even talking about missions, how you know some will go to, uh, on a service mission, or someone goes to Africa, or sometimes they have to do Facebook. You know, it's all very different. They're still called, but they're called to different things. And we have to accept what the Lord has to offer us and serve his children. Their time was like ours, where all of society seems to be heading south. And, uh, and a few people are clinging on to the eternal truth that there is a God in heaven who has commandments that represent the safest and uh, easiest and happiest way forward. Well, it does interest me that, that sometimes you mentioned Lehi, right? who's warned to, to leave and to go get Ishmael's family so his children can marry and establish something new in a different land. And Jeremiah from the same God gets an almost opposite commandment, right? Stay. His commandment is to stay, to witness, to endure persecution. He's specifically told not to marry because the city's going to be destroyed. <laughs> and so as a sign to everyone, um, he's given that different commandment. You know, I think, in that same first chapter of Jeremiah, we get the Lord's response as okay. one model for us. So in verse seven, it says, but the Lord said unto me, say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words into thy mouth. And so part of the pattern that we see here is the Lord promising that, that who he calls, he qualifies, and giving this specific blessing that Jeremiah doesn't need to be afraid. Is there a way that we can instill confidence um, in, in members as they are asked to serve in specific callings? When the children and youth program was developed, it was built around this notion that we, we need our young people to experience Heavenly Father in their lives as, as youth. And an important part of that is the work that they'll do within quorums and classes. And, and one of the tools that we built mirrors what we see going on here in Jeremiah. The Lord knew that he was gonna ask Jeremiah to do some incredibly difficult things at an incredibly difficult time and he was asking somebody who was sort of timid to begin with. And so his methodology for bringing him to the fight was to explain to him who he was. And so these verses that say, you know, don't think yourself as a child. I know you, I'm going with you, and I'm gonna do this. We're anxious as a young men's program and as the first presidency of the church to have our youth have that same confidence when a bishop calls a new um, deacon's quorum president or a, a young women's class president, he says to them, you might think it's just your turn that you're being called because you know, you're the oldest one in the quorum or whatever, but that really doesn't have much to do with this. 
The reason you're being called today is because my counselors and I have been on our knees and we've been praying about you and about your quorum, about your class, and, uh, and have felt Heavenly Father's confirming spirit that this is your time to step up and serve, that you're truly being called of God. And they might, they might answer, well, yeah, but I am the only one in the quorum. <laughs> and, and to that, a bishop might say, isn't that interesting that in Heavenly Father's divine economy, he provided you to be here at a time when your quorum was going to need a president. And this experience that you're about to have with Heavenly Father is going to guide your life, all of your life. President Sister Lund, I was so touched, President, by a talk you gave in which you, you mentioned your son Tanner, uh, who has since passed. As you shared experience that as he was going through uh, cancer and as he was towards the end of his life, he went to church and he insisted on passing the sacrament. And uh, the words that you, that you shared that he said was because it helps people. I would love to just know, how do you instill something like that in such a strong young man who's going through something so difficult that recognizes I have a duty, I have a responsibility to help people? Tanner always took his church responsibilities very seriously. And when he became ill, he really delved. I mean, like he was reading the Old Testament because he wanted to know everything about God. He really leaned in. And I think that that's where that comes from. And when you lean in hard, and then Heavenly Father blesses you. Not necessarily that he blessed him with life, but he gave him comfort. I remember once uh, he was in the hospital and he, he needed to do something very difficult and he couldn't talk well. You know, he had sores just everywhere. Anyway, he just grabbed his dad's hands and just put them on his head, meaning, I need you to bless me. You know, he leaned in to what really, you know, all the people of Jeremiah's time leaned into things that did not edify. They did not help. But Tanner leaned into the good things. And part of that is that he, I believe he, before he was born, he was somebody that Heavenly Father loved, just like he loves all of us. Love that. Thank you so much for, for sharing. Uh, President Lund, is there anything you want to add? Well, just this other piece that I, I'm not sure he learned that at home. He was getting ready to go to church and Colin says, you don't need to go to church. And he says, no, I really do. It's my, uh, I'm, I'm supposed to pass sacrament day. Well, you don't need to pass sacrament today. You're really, really sick. What I understand that he said was, you know, when I pass the sacrament, I look around and I see how people look at me. Yeah. I think it helps them. Yeah. I think it helps them to see. So, so part of his discovery of who he was came from our religious community, our, our ward. These people loved him and, and, uh, and you know, kind of gave him strength and power. And they let him share in the influence Heavenly Father was having in their lives. I think this reminds me of something that I've always felt really drawn to about Jeremiah. There's a passage in Jeremiah chapter 20 where he's been persecuted and it's been really hard and nobody's listening. This verse 9 is really significant. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. So Jeremiah was ready to just quit and be done. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. So in other words, Jeremiah had internalized God's presence so completely that when he wanted to quit, even when he wanted to quit, he felt the word of God like a fire in the bones that just moved him forward, and, and he couldn't stop. Yeah, you know, I, I love that. I love that fire, that passion. 
we had a, um, a question come in from one of our viewers. They really kind of asked, how do we do that? And I'd love to watch that question and then perhaps we can discuss it in a way that maybe we can try to see how can we apply this in our own lives. Hi, I'm Kiona and I'm from Lehigh, Utah. After reading Jeremiah, I was wondering, when you're trying to choose the right, other people around you might be against you. How do you stay strong like Prophet Jeremiah? So how can we help out Kiona answering this question? How do I stay strong like the prophet Jeremiah when choosing the right? Amber. Um, so I think if you notice Jeremiah, throughout all his trials, he kept talking to God. And I think that's one of the biggest things we can do is keep praying and reading our scriptures and going to church. Those three things will really keep us, um, give us the strength that we need to keep choosing the right. So this constant communication with God. Mm -hmm. So in such a busy world we live in today, how do you find time to do that? And how do you feel it's affected you in all aspects of your life? Morning and night, it's really not that hard to find 30 seconds to pray to God. And when you're really struggling, you can say a prayer in your heart and always have that prayer in your heart. That's a great thought. Nathan. Yeah, um, I went to an old boys school in England of about 850 uh, pupils, uh, none of whom were members of our church except me. Wow. And so I, on a daily basis, um, had opportunities to uh, stand up and be counted, I suppose. And that meant on a number of occasions doing the unpopular thing. Mm. And thankfully, I had wonderful siblings and other family members and, and even heroes from the scriptures that I placed my stock in. God loves you. He's the one that has all the tools and has all the strength to give you. So in moments of weakness, I would say rely on him and ask him, you can ask him in prayer um, to help point you to th those people who will reinforce rather than seek to tear down what you know to be right. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. And really, what a great example. You talk about being in a real-life Jeremiah situation, you know, being alone, you know, as far as your faith is concerned. Right. In Jeremiah, there's this a wonderful term. We served our mission in the South, so anytime time they, the word backsliding comes up, I'm all in. <laughs> you know, but it says in uh, verse 14, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And I love that because I think it also uh, relates to our own time where we're having to be more individualistic about our, our faithfulness. And I remember telling my children, who are now way grown, uh, but even then, I remember telling them that it was very important for them to have their feet firmly planted in the gospel individually. You know, they were likely going to get married and have lovely families, but if not, they needed to have their feet firmly planted so that if their parents lost their way or their siblings lost their way or their spouse or their children, their testimonies were not uh, bound up in that, that it was between them and God and I think in that, there is safety. I feel more safe when I know I am connected to him no matter what. Thank you. Thank you so much. You, you know, Lyndon Johnson, the American president, was kind of a Southern boy who had, <laughs> had a fun way of talking. He, he talked about the fact that when you lead, sometimes it means standing alone. But the way he said it was that sometimes you just got to hunker down and take it. 
which I think is Texan for be still and know that I'm God. You know, some, sometimes when, when you're standing alone, you just have to realize you're not. Thank you so much. I really didn't know a whole lot about Jeremiah coming into this, and I really appreciate everything that you've said to add to, to him and who he was, and he really has become like now, he can be one of those heroes that you mentioned from the Old Testament. And so I just want to thank you all for, for sharing your experiences and for your commentary on our first topic, who was Jeremiah? I think knowing that I existed before has helped me to gain more of an eternal perspective on life and realizing that I was once with my Heavenly Father and that I will get to return there um, has been a comfort for me. When I think of the pre-mortal existence, I think about agency and the power we have to choose between good and evil. And in this life, it's, it's our choice whether we choose God or we choose evil. Because I know I lived before and that we have a divine inheritance and a divine path we're following, I can make better choices right here and right now in everything that I do. And it's a matter of communication with the Lord to say, what would you like me to do about this situation? Knowing that I accepted this plan as well as everybody else on the earth helps me have that greater strength and confidence to share the gospel because it's not something that is unknown. It's something that's just been forgotten. So our second topic for today is God knew me before I was born. And this comes from verse 5 of uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, where it says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. You know, here Jeremiah is living in, you know, a lot of wickedness. He's at the table, all calm while the world is on fire. How does our understanding that God knows who we were before we were born help us overcome a lot of these trials we face in life today and be like Jeremiah? I feel like it does, first of all. It's the first thing in verse 4. It said, then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, this is the, the beginning. Okay. It's foundational for Jeremiah. And I wonder, too, if God chose to remind Jeremiah in particular of all the prophets about that truth because it gives some distance from the moment. So here's Jeremiah weeping. There's a verse where he says, I wish my head were just full of water because I feel like I'm crying all the time over this people. And here's the Lord saying, this is a tough moment, but I knew you before this and I prepared you for this and you'll make it through to something beyond. Okay. And I wonder if the, uh, the other thing he was saying is you have no idea who you are. I know. Mm. I know who you are. Specifically with a lot of the youth of the church today, how do we help them understand who they are? How can that help them moving forward to fulfill everything that they're going to be called to do? You know, Moses went through this, didn't he? Uh, very much the same conversation. We saw this vast vision and Heavenly Father said to him finally, this is who you are. You know, you think you're just a, a shepherd on a mountainside, and that's honest work. There's nothing wrong with that. But, yeah. but you're also my son, and I'm showing you all of this, all of my creation, all these acts of creation to show you our family business, what we're really about. This is my work and my glory. You know, there, there are voices that come to us, and if we're not paying attention to the right voices, we're going to be in trouble. In art, if they're turned to the left, 
uh, they're listening to Satan. And if the head is turned to the right, they're listening to God. And you look at David and what, how is he facing? He's got his, he's got his uh, hand over his shoulder with the sling and his head is turned to the left. He's listening to Satan. And Satan is saying, Goliath is really big. He's really big. We have to be aware of the voices that come to us. And when those dark voices come, we have to just shut it off and turn our head to the right and listen to God. Or maybe he was saying, David, you're amazing. <laughs> this is all you. Yeah. You know, I like that idea yeah. of sometimes I feel like we're trying to be bamboozled into thinking yeah. one way that the world is trying to say, this is who you really are, yeah. whereas the Lord is concentrating your mind. It's, no, 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 no. Yeah. I'm going to tell you right now who you really are. Yeah. Okay, now there's a word, and I maybe you can teach us a little bit about this, where he says, before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctify thee, I ordained thee a prophet. What did we learn about this uh, example of foreordination? Sometimes we hear a word predestination. How does that fit in with Jeremiah and with us? I'm going to start with the predestination okay. part. So some people who have read the Bible have thought of it as God's pre-planned drama, okay. right? Where everybody's cast in a role and some are the good guys and some are the bad guys. It's set up in advance. Okay. As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we don't think in those terms, right? Our understanding is that God prepared each of us to succeed in, in this life and gave all of us a foreordination where we were prepared to take on certain things, whether those were mm. callings and assignments, whether it's challenges, whatever. So we don't see that as fixed, right? What I read in these verses is that, you know, we haven't all been foreordained to be a prophet, but we have all had Heavenly Father's mind on our future lives, and he's, there is a design to our lives, and he intends to be a part of it, and he intends us to be a part of his work of salvation and exaltation. And, and, we, uh, and we have all the capacity in the world to do those things because he has that capacity. And by ourselves, we're always gonna feel inadequate to the cause. You know, the children and youth program is designed around this thing that, that we empower 11-year-olds to be quorum and class presidents, to actually have, have priesthood power and authority over, over their responsibilities to help bring their cohort along with them into uh, Heavenly Father's embrace. And God is constantly working with us and interacting with us to call us toward that thing he already knows that we are capable of being. So is there a connection between this idea of foreordination and, you know, say, for example, uh, patriarchal blessings, where we have this outline, very personal outline of this is what you can do and become um, is there a connection with foreordination and patriarchal blessings? I, th I think that you're onto something, that that scripture is, that what we're reading in, in Jeremiah 1 is really Jeremiah's patriarchal blessing, or, okay. or at, least, at least a piece of it, if we think about it in that way. And these are rooted in the Old Testament, right? Really? At the end of Genesis, Jacob, Israel, uh -huh. gathers his children and blesses them one by one, Okay. right? And their prophetic blessings... Uh, that give them a sense of what will happen in their future for themselves and their families after them. And we see this pattern repeated through the scriptures. Is it, is it kind of like what Lehi does with Laman and Lemuel? Exactly. Okay, okay exactly. that makes a lot of right? sense. Then in the early church, when it was restored, right? Um, so many Latter-day Saints, their dads weren't members of the church, right? 
So they didn't have right. that, that family line. And so Joseph Smith Sr., the father of Joseph Smith the prophet, was, was ordained to be a patriarch to the church. In other words, anybody in the church, you have a father here. And so to this day, we can go to someone who's ordained as a patriarch and they'll give us a special blessing where, where they've prepared themselves spiritually to, to be a prophetic blessing that gives a, us a sense of what the Lord might have planned for our lives. Okay. And also sometimes a blessing that, that says things about our character and who we are. And I know for me, our patriarch had just gotten back from a mission when I got mine. So I didn't know him at all. And I was struck then and have only been struck more and more by the things in that blessing wow. and how they ring true to my life. Yeah, I've had that same experience. When I received my patriarchal blessing as a 15-year-old, I suppose, um, it, it really was life-changing to me to, to read into that mm -hmm. and, and, and perceive that Heavenly Father knew my name and, and, and knew who I was. My patriarch gave me a blessing that didn't belong to that skinny little kid that lived on a dirt road in rural, rural California. That there was no way to connect what he talked about in that blessing to what he saw sitting in the chair. Mm -hmm. And yet as my life has continued, I've seen those things verily come to pass. Oh, thank you so much. Sister Lund, any thoughts on patriarchal blessings and how we can use those to strengthen our understanding that God knew us before we were born? Well, not only is that important, but also that the person that we know is not the person I'm gonna become. That uh, he knows us, he knew us before, he knows us as children, and that he knows us as older people too. I have seen in my patriarchal blessing, he blessed me with things that helped me in my youth, but he blessed me with things in my old age I didn't recognize until I got there. Wow. Okay, so I, I wanna ask the audience, how has an understanding that God knew you before you were born given you confidence in some of the responsibilities that you've had to take on in your life? Candace. Well, I know for me, when life gets hard and I don't think I can take on one more thing or I've had a couple illnesses in my life where I didn't think I could handle it or get through it, I think we're planted in places where we're supposed to be to help other people and serve and and get through the things that we're supposed to get through. Candace, is there something specific that you really feel like God meant for you to perform in this life? I'm a teacher, so sometimes I think, even though it gets really hard to do that, and I'm also a mother, but I think I'm still supposed to be that teacher to our youth in a high school setting. And then look at those situations where I was inspired to help that student and like where that got that student, and I was meant to like be there to help them, yeah. Thank you so much, mm -hmm. I love that. It kind of gives us more perspective on the reality that God does know who we are and that we are here for a purpose. So as we've talked about Jeremiah being called, and in his response, he mentions that I am a child. Now, do we know, is he speaking like metaphorically, or how old was Jeremiah at the time of his calling? You know, he had dreams early on as a child where he, he saw things and, that connected him to God. And there are those who believe that he was as young as between 14 and 19 years old. So that's very reminiscent to we members of the church 
because our prophet, Joseph Smith, was also called early. You look at Samuel, oh my gosh, he was three years old, you know, when he first started having dreams. And so it's not unusual. And responsibilities are given to a lot of these young men and young women today. You know, we're talking 11, 12 years old. President Lund, uh, how do you see um, the youth today responding to some of these calls at such young ages? You know, this question really goes straight to the heart of one of the most exciting things happening in the church with the introduction of the Children and Youth Program because it represents a true cultural change. For generations, adults have dispensed gospel knowledge and inspiration to our youth who have been consumers of that, uh, of the, of that wisdom. The prophet, the first presidency, the 12, is, is now saying that when we lay hands on a young deacon's quorum president, a young class president's head, and give them authority and set them apart to go out and make a difference, if we then turn around and do behave like we used to behave, do what we used to do by being the dispensers of all knowledge and blessing and let them just be consumers, then we're inadvertently releasing them from that calling. Mm -hmm. But if we have trust in them and faith in them and trust and faith in Heavenly Father who trusts them, then amazing things can happen. And I just watched my son at the, at the beginning of those years, right? Turned 11 and they called him in to interview him um, about preparing to become a deacon. And I, I felt like the leaders of our ward did a good job of giving that some weight and treating him as having a mature spirit, mm. even as he learns and catches up. One thing I noticed about him is he then asked, who else is on the rolls who might become a deacon? Wow. And he did that because not very many people come to his primary class. And they started mentioning names and he said, what about this person? What about this? And I just watched my son's face change wow. as his mind began to move toward that charge and responsibility and be mindful of people he goes to school with, he's friends with, think through their situations, what can he do for them? And, and yeah, he's 11, he's but a child, but, but God knows him and in the moment of calling, it seemed like he could feel that. And, that and that he was able to take on responsibility in a different way. Yeah, as they live, care, invite, and unite, they, they, they discover that they're smarter and they're more capable and more powerful than they thought they were because they have Heavenly Father's power channeling through them. So, so for uh, a young man and young woman today who is kind of struggling with that concept of God doesn't know who I am, what would you say to that person? Hang in there. Um, he does know who you are and he'll come for you when you're ready, when, when the time is right. I, I was watching a little program on rowing of all things the other day. You know, the guy in the long skinny hull and the, and the two uh, battles. And he, he made this interesting comment. The wind was blowing as he was talking and there was, he was in rough water. And he says, you know, when you're in rough water like this, when you're in, a tr in turbulence, the, your inclination is to back off on the oars slow down because it feels dangerous and and when you're but when you do that then one of these sleeper rollers will come through and, and roll you over and you end up in the you know in, in the water he says what you have to discipline yourself to do is when you're in turbulent water you lean in you keep the momentum you keep that forward progress because that keeps three points of contact in the water that, that will help you to navigate through that rough water that is so applicable to yeah. our spiritual lives. There are times when you're not going to hear him. 
There, there will be times in all of our lives when we, when, when we uh, wish that we could hear more profoundly Heavenly Father's voice and feel His love in our lives. And sometimes we feel like we're on our own. And in those turbulent spiritual times, we just need to maintain those three points of contact with that living water. Work harder on scriptures, work harder on your spiritual life. And if you do that, you'll, you, the promise is clear. I don't have to make this promise. God himself has made this promise. He will come for you. And thank you so much for those thoughts, President Lund. Thank you. I'm, I'm really excited to continue this conversation as we go into the footnotes. Um, I just hope that through this conversation, if, if any of you feel that you're not known, that you'll take the time and the effort to go and discover your relationship with our heavenly parents. So thank you so much for your comments and your testimonies on our second topic of today. God knew me before I was born. What I took away was that Heavenly Father doesn't ask for immediate perfection from us. He asks for our heart. He accepts us and loves us with our weaknesses and asks us to come to Him. Being able to study the Old Testament here today with those that have studied and truly understand what's happening there has truly just brought me a greater understanding of what's happening in the scriptures and has given me a desire to do that same thing on my own so that I can get the most out of the Old Testament. We can pull so much more out of the scriptures and out of church doctrine if we can facilitate a healthy conversation with like-minded and diverse people um, and really just come together with that sense of willingness to learn. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. All right, guys, so we talked about a lot of really good things so far. There's still so much more that we can talk about. And one of those is the connection between uh, Jeremiah and Lehi that I want to get into a little bit because I think it helps us. The more we understand about Jeremiah, the more we can understand about Lehi and vice versa. So can we talk about a little bit about those two? Yeah. I'm an investigator on my mission who at first kind of struggled with Book of Mormon because he loved the Bible and said, I don't know. And then he went, oh, it's the Middle Testament. I get it now, right? <laughs> and it really is because it bridges from this moment um, between all the New Testaments, between those worlds. The specific moment where the Book of Mormon begins is this moment that we've been talking about with Jeremiah. So the Babylonians are going to come Jeremiah's preaching that it's going to be taken over. They're not going to be rescued. The, the king Zedekiah is saying, no, 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 well, maybe we can make an alliance with Egypt. So the official position is everything is fine. And, and that's the world that, that Lehi's caught up in. So I think understanding Jeremiah's world helps us understand Lehi, where he's coming from, also Laman and Lemuel. Mm -hmm where their concerns are coming from. The cultural wind was definitely blowing towards, we're fine, right. yep. everything's fine, and, and these crazy men over here are telling us that we've got to change our lives, but we don't have to. Well, and they were teaching that we've got the temple here. I mean, the temple belongs to God. How in the world could we have a problem as long as the temple's there? It's a great message, yeah. thank you. Maybe I can take you to yeah. the scripture we were talking about earlier, uh, uh, Jeremiah 2, mm. verse 11. Hath any other nation changed their gods? which yet are no gods. <laughs> so the neighbors, their gods are made out of wood and stuff. But they've at least been consistent. <laughs> they've been consistent. They haven't changed their gods. But you have a living God who came here and gave you this land, and then you start going after those gods that aren't, aren't gods. What, what kind of craziness is it? And then it says this amazing thing. It says, 
Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this. Be horribly afraid. Be desolate, saith the Lord. And, yep. and, and today, as you know, in the internet age, as again, you know, we're, we're getting this, it isn't, the message hasn't changed. You know, the reason it seems to be a little more unsettling now is because of the curiosity of this messaging that our, our youth are, are getting eight hours a day of, of, of this, of the, the, the dark side, and, and we get 15 minutes for them here and there and so yeah. forth. And so it just feels like the wind is blowing so hard that it's going to sweep them away. We should be a, a little bit afraid. <laughs> and you can see that right in the opening chapters of the Book of Mormon, right? That in chapter 1, verse 4, it talks about how as soon as Zedekiah becomes king, many prophets start to come, right? And in that same year, there came many prophets prophesying unto the people that they must repent or the great city Jerusalem must be destroyed. They'd seen cycles. They'd seen what had happened with the Assyrians mm. and the northern kingdom, right? But it was tough for people to hear. And so we read in 1 Nephi chapter 1, verse 4, um, about Lehi during this setting as Jeremiah is preaching. It says, for it came to pass in the commencement of the first year of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, my father Lehi having dwelt at Jerusalem in all his days. And in that same year, there came many prophets prophesying unto the people that they must repent or the great city Jerusalem must be destroyed. So then, verses 12 to 13, and thus Laman and Lemuel being the eldest did murmur against their father. And they did murmur because they knew not the dealings of that God who had created them. And that's that theme of Jeremiah. Do you understand how God works? Neither did they believe that Jerusalem, that great city, could be destroyed according to the words of the prophets. Putting their trust in the arm of the flesh. They're like, yes, this, our city, our great city cannot be destroyed. What are you talking about? Yep. And it overtly says, and they were like unto the Jews who were at Jerusalem who sought to take away the life of my father. So the mainstream of Jews here means kingdom of Judah, right? And the official line of the kingdom of Judah was, we're not going to be destroyed, we can't be destroyed. Even though you don't necessarily have to be a prophet to know this is on the table, right? <laughs> and it's interesting, I think, as an aside, sometimes now we think of prophet as synonymous with president of the church. Mm -hmm. Even though we sustain the whole Quorum of the Twelve as prophets, Joseph Smith was very clear that whoever has the testimony of Jesus, that's the spirit of prophecy. So prophet meant one who prophesied. It's that spiritual gift. These prophets include Jeremiah. They also include Huldah, who King Josiah had, had sent to to interpret this book of the law and give a prophecy. Certainly she's someone who was well-known in her time and respected, so that when they were restoring the temple after Josiah's wicked father had kind of let it fall apart, um, when they find this book of the law, she's the first one they take it to. And President Nelson has really emphasized, right, that you need women's counsel, and there are things women have to say, and this is a good scripture story where that's what they do, right? Okay. They have a question, and they go and get counsel from this woman with this prophetic gift. Anyone can be part of God's prophetic work by following the Holy Ghost. So one of the things that we talked about with Jeremiah is that he was commanded not to marry, which is, which yep. is kind of a unique concept. And we have a very traditional sense of the family that we really you know, hold, hold close to. And I'm reminded, so when I was a kid, my dad passed away four months before I was to be ordained to, uh, to be a deacon and to receive the priesthood. 
And so I, I lived in a home for the, for the majority of my life where there was not that, that figure. But what, I, what, I really, what really has stood out to me is that there were people that stepped up in that role. And there's one in particular, his name is Jan Chatwin. He went out of his way to take me and my brothers on fathers and sons outings. Anytime we needed anything, we knew we could go to his home. And so even though I was, it wasn't the most traditional upbringing in that regard, there were people that stepped up and helped out. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because there's a lot of people that are watching the show that are members of our faith or just in the community at large that are not in those strong, you know, traditional families. How do we help them? How does I, the book of Jeremiah teach us on what our role is in that process? One thing I think is probably helpful to say at the outset is that when family's not working, it feels like a personal failure. And a lot of times there may be that dimension, but certain times put a lot of stress on family structures. And so it goes beyond just what's happening in that family to what's happening around them. Okay. We live in times where there's a lot of strain on family. We adjust, we, we find what we can do because we still need each other. Well, and one of the things that uh, Jeremiah teaches us is that a heavenly father was unhappy with a lot of things that were happening. You know, they weren't keeping the Sabbath day holy. There was idolatry, but it was also, you're not taking care of the widows and their families. There's great condemnation when we don't look after our neighbors. And right now they're neighbors all around us. And I think because of the, the world situation right now, we're getting very closed. You know, we're, 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 we're retreating a little bit when really we need to step out and really double our efforts to help those who are in need. Because uh, you look at this lovely family, one man made such an enormous difference and the, and the help that your mom received. Mm -hmm. What a blessing. So it's fascinating that a modern prophet has said that the church is migrating to a place, has migrated to a place where it is home-centered and church-supported. What, what does that mean in a church where perhaps half of the households aren't that traditional family? Does that not apply to them? Is the prophet only talking to, you know, those, the, the mom, dad, and kids' families? Well, of course not. He's talking about them all. And he's calling us out to, uh, to fill in gaps. And Sister Lund, I love your insight that that in some ways this is a way God tests and weighs a people or a society, right? Are, are they taking care? Are they stepping up for the widow, the fatherless, those in need? And Sister Lund, you had shared um, in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 14, but the Lord says, I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. I think there are two ways of looking at that. Okay. One is where there are individuals who are coming to the church and the other is the gleaning, right? The, the restoration of, you know, all, the, all of this is going to um, fade and Jerusalem's gonna be taken, Israel's gonna be dispersed. And then I'm gonna give you hope by saying, we're gonna create Israel again by taking. So I think there are two meanings here. Okay, but anything you wanna add, James? Yeah, I, I like that idea of, of God forming something. So Jeremiah has an experience around this that he recounts in Jeremiah chapter 18. Uh, one thing I kind of like about Jeremiah, you do get more of his life in his prophecy. Some of the prophets are very much all message, okay. but, but he'll tell you, here's where I'm from, this thing happened to me, this thing happened to me, and this one is kind of like a random journal entry, right? <laughs> and his prophecies are fulfilled within his lifetime. Yes. That's oh. what's unique about Jeremiah. 
Yes, yes, that's yes. he lives unique. to see it and he knows yeah. he's gonna live to see it and that's part of the pressure, oh, right? Cool. Yeah. yeah. So he says here in chapter 18, the word of the Lord which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will cause thee to hear my words. So he gives us the place where he got this revelation, right? Is just watching a potter. Verse three, then I went down to the potter's house and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. So a potter, is working with some clay. We didn't bring in a pottery wheel for the table. I'm sorry, <laughs> we don't have that. But a potter's working with this clay and wrought this work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. In other words, he's making something and it's not quite working. And it's interesting, <laughs> we got this, this clay prepared that is not soft, is not workable, and it's, how are you doing there, sister? Not well, it's not holding <laughs> together very well. So a potter throws it down, maybe works with the clay, throws in some water, okay. <laughs> needs it, right? Um, and that's exactly what happens. And then in verse four it says, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. Maybe the potter made a mistake, or maybe it was like this, right? Where, where the clay wasn't ready yet, it's not soft enough yet, so it's not making the kind of thing the potter wants. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. So Jeremiah sees all this, and it says, as he's watching this potter work, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. This is the, the teaching moment. What do we learn from this idea that we are truly in his hands and he's trying to mold and shape us? Well, and I think there's another lesson to be learned. And the first time he, the, the potter tries to make a, a beautiful pot and it doesn't work. And then the second time it does better. Maybe it's a repentance story. He's trying to tell the people, I am in charge here. I can help you. Just give me another chance. Let's just work this out together and I can make something beautiful of you. So we have to be ourselves. We have to be the, that right type of clay so that we can yeah. be molded and shaped. Is that yeah. what you're saying? And don't we all want to be that way? Right. You know, we want to be molded by him. We, we don't have a clear vision of ourselves. Many of us say, you know, I'm just really not made out of gospel clay. Mm. But Heavenly Father doesn't get the clay that he's talking <laughs> about here at Hobby Lobby, does he? <laughs> he, he, can take, he can take any clay, and he is God, and he can shape it into, you know, into, into beautiful creatures that become his children over time. I'm, I'm kind of glad that this was crummy clay. <laughs> because yeah. it so nicely teaches that principle. Yeah. Heavenly Father can make beauty I think out too, of all of this. There's this story I've always loved. It's an old European folk tale about hedgehogs. Okay. And these hedgehogs are up on the mountain and they mean to come down, but it's nice there and it starts to get dark. And when it gets dark, it gets cold and they have to cuddled together for warmth, but they're hedgehogs. They have spikes, right? <laughs> so if you go too close together, you poke each other. But if you go too far apart, you no freeze one. alone in the cold. Okay. Mm. And I think as we think about God as a potter and making something of clay, right? He's bringing us together. And one thing we struggle with sometimes in an individualistic generation is this hedgehog principle, that when we cuddle together, there's some spikes. Right? And so just like this clay, sometimes we want to kind of back away and fall apart. That's, that's our response to conflict instead of trusting the Lord to bring us together and work that clay 
and until it comes together into the creation he wants it to be. So I think not only as individuals, but as a people, right. we need to be clay in the Lord's hands and have some patience as, as he works and moves and, and spins us around that wheel and pushes, right? I like that. You know, President Nelson has mentioned the importance today of the gathering of Israel. And I can't help but draw that same kind of connection with clay and gathering it together. You know, Colleen and I sat in President Nelson's office a year and a half ago when I was called to, to this calling and he talked about this, that, that the most important thing going on in the world today is that gathering that's described right here. And the youth's involvement in that gathering is material. President Nelson expects the youth of the church to change the world as we, we approach that end zone. You know, one, one, one realization that just jumps out of these chapters are Jeremiah was shouting into the darkness, you know, that horrible things are coming if you don't repent. And then those horrible things came and, and the kingdom was crushed. Um, that's not where we are today. President Nelson is not saying that. He's saying we need to prepare because he's coming. The, uh, we're, this, this, our story does not end the way that Jeremiah's story ends. Our story is going to end in victory. And so we as members of the church, we as youth of the church, he's saying you've got nothing to fear as you stay engaged in the work. And what a beautiful work for this time when a lot of people outside of the church, outside of religion, have noticed it's, it's kind of a time of fragmentation right, where people are falling apart, people are being more isolated. Tribalism. There, there's tribalism. the tribalism. It feels a little like that. You have doctors, too, who said, you know, one of the biggest symptoms they treat is just loneliness. And here you have the opportunity to be part of the Lord's work of gathering, bringing together, reconciling, finding unity. My mission plaque, mm. scripture that I chose, that was about this very principle, the idea of of God working twice. Because the gathering of Israel, God says this is his second great work. So Jeremiah 16, verses 14 through 16, it says, Therefore behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be said, the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. That's the Exodus, this great miracle that they celebrated every year. That's the core of their identity. But... The Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands whither he had driven them. And I will bring them again into their land that I gave unto their fathers. Behold, I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish for them. And after will I send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. And I just loved this image as I was going on a mission of, I mean, one, the Exodus means a lot to me. So thinking this is as big a deal as the Exodus. And then two, this idea that everybody's going to be reached in a different place, in a different way. And this one of a city, two of a family principle, right? That, that God sees us and is going to reach uh, as he pushes us together in, into that new vessel. Pertaining to the youth of the church today or anybody in general struggling with their personal identity, what's a message that you would tell them that we can take from the example of Jeremiah? Have some grit. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremiah I had grit that. from the get-go. 
And it wasn't that he was jumping up and down. None of Heavenly Father's prophets ever jump up and down and say, please pick me. And I think humility is one of the great lessons of Jeremiah. He was humble. He did everything Heavenly Father asked him to do, no matter how hard it was. And, you know, his, uh, his glory is, is assured. He gets to live with Heavenly Father forever uh, because of that uh, humility that he had and his willingness to, to love not only Heavenly Father, but his people, no matter how crazy they were. They were crazy. <laughs> It's a great message, thank you. Uh, I keep having this thought that, you know, Jeremiah could not have looked that much different than modern prophets. He was a prophet, he was under the influence of the Spirit. And as I read it this time, I, I read it through a different lens. Uh, out of the, that, I believe that Jeremiah was speaking out of pure love. I, I th you know, there's he a place a he's, he's referred to as the weeping yeah. prophet. What was he weeping about? I think he was talking to his family and his friends and people he loved and a, and a culture that, yeah. that he loved, that he knew was redeemable, if, if, if they just would be. And he was, he was pleading with them. He was, I think he was using, I don't think he was ranting at all. I think he was using a soft voice, mm -hmm. an imploring voice. Come to the Savior, come, come to the Father and, mm -hmm. and he will bless you and he will save you. He, it doesn't have to be this way. Yeah, and that connects to one of the things I've really been feeling, which is I hope that people who feel some discontent and feel like things aren't the way they're supposed to be, that's a good feeling. That feeling can be from God. Okay. We don't, we don't need to worry about it, right? And it's okay to weep sometimes for the world. Courage does not come from contentment. Courage comes from trusting the Lord that he can be the potter and make us better. Mm. And the other message, huge message about Jeremiah is idolatry that there are so many um, things that the world pretends to offer uh, that uh, is enticing that really gives us no joy at all. And if we just turn to God, we will have the joy that we are all seeking for. So I think that's a very important message of Jeremiah. I love that. And that yeah. just speaks so much to who Jeremiah was, mm -hmm. is that courage in such a difficult situation I really have learned so much about Jeremiah that I didn't realize before. And you know, I, I hope to be able to not only take on some of those same characteristics, but to then teach that to others about this bravery, this courage in difficult situations. President Sister Lund, thank you so much for, for being here with us. I really think that those that are watching and participating will benefit from, from what you've shared in your experience. And I know your time is so valuable and precious. So thank you for being here with us today. It's always a pleasure to have James with us and to add to this conversation. This has been really edifying uh, conversation as we talked about the first topic, who was Jeremiah? And the second one, God knew me before I was born. And we wanna thank all of you for watching at home and encourage you to continue to follow those promptings that you've received from the Holy Ghost. Thanks again for being here. Please join us next week for another episode of Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.